Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Jacqueline Walters is one of the longest running stars in Bravo history, who is widely known as America's most beloved OBGYN, Dr. Jackie. In the show, married to medicine and a two-time breast cancer survivor, Dr. Jackie has turned her pain into passion for nurturing the emotional and physical needs of women and men diagnosed with breast cancer through her Fifty Shades of Pink Foundation. She is now the best-selling author of the feminine health book, The Queen V. This award-winning OBGYN is on a mission to educate the black community on important health issues and end racial disparities. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jackie. Dr. Jackie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. I can't wait to talk to you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you and the show. I'm honored to be on the show. That is music to my ears. And, you know, strike back at you, Dr. Jackie. I mean, you've had such an impressive career. You know, you're a very experienced OBGYN to the stars and to regular people. You know, you're a health expert, you're a philanthropist. I would call you an entrepreneurial doctor. I like that. I just discovered that recently, though, that I had all of this going on. But we don't want to tell them too much about my experience because they'll start guessing my age because it's wrong on the Internet. They have me all aged out on the Internet. Google has it wrong. I am not that mature. But we won't talk about how many years of experience because they'll start guessing my age. Well, I want to know what you're doing because you look like you're 25. I'll say it again. Thank you. All right. So you are also on a show that a very good friend of mine, Matt Anderson, produces called Married to Medicine. And it is a Bravo show of a group of ladies who all are in the medical profession of some sorts or connected to it. And my first question is, why did you decide to do the show? Because let me tell you, Dr. Jackie, like I've watched the show and there's some real humdingers that go on. I mean, there's so many like clashing of personalities and little scuffles and arguments. But why did you decide to do the show? So one, this is year 10. So I want to celebrate being on a, a reality TV show for 10 years. So exciting. But Dr. Simone asked if I would come and cast for a reality TV show. And my first response was, there is no way on the earth I would ever do this. Well, you know how girlfriends kind of trick you into things. She's like, just do it. I mean, if they're not going to pick you, they're not going to pick you, but do it. So I cast it for the show. And lo and behold, here I am 10 years later on a reality TV show that I said I would never do because of exactly what you said, Kate. Boy, do we have the clashing of personalities. But what I'm learning, and I want everybody in the world to know, reality TV is like family reunions. You know, we all get together and you start clashing of personalities and you still got to love them because you still got to work together. But it is what it is. And we absolutely love it because we are actually all friends or acquaintances. So that helps a lot being on the TV show because we still hang out when the show stops filming. We're still hanging out together. So do you feel that being on the show with these ladies has strengthened your friendship? And or do you feel that in some cases it's ruined some friendships? 
I think there's been a little bit of both. We started out as really close friends with some ladies, and now it's kind of pivoted a little direction. So a little bit of both. It's strengthened some, and the others have taken a blow. Now, I happen to know that camera crews literally move into your house. How does that affect your private life, your family, your relationship with your husband? I mean, that's intrusive. Yeah. Oh, very intrusive. However, it is timed filming. So they're not always here. Are there lights and cameras that are positioned in your house that stay the whole film season? Yes, but they're not always rolling. So it's not always them in your life, but it is a four month span of, you know what it is. You know what you have to do. It's my second job. You know, once I leave the OBGYN practice, I know I'm walking onto the set and everything that I do say look like that day, didn't look good that day, can end up on a camera. You know what cracks me up about watching these shows? And I am a bravaholic. It's my way of, you know, I'm obviously like you, extremely busy, have a global company, a global charity, a podcast, a child, a life. But it's my way of just winding down at the end of the night. And one of our board members, Deborah Messing, is the same way. She just loves Bravo, like a total Bravo hit. And, you know, your show and The Real Housewives, are, I mean, they're just so entertaining and addictive, right? They're addictive. Do you ever forget that the cameras are rolling? I mean, I know that's the idea, right? They take you on trips and whatnot and try to get you to probably drink lots of alcohol and sort of let rip. Does that happen? Well, the good news is I don't drink alcohol. Okay. So they don't get me because I drink alcohol. They get me because we get very comfortable with each other and we're laughing and sharing and you're trying to get your little, you know, dig in. And so you start talking and you forget the mic is there. So yes, we forget the mic is there. Yes, there are castmates who start drinking and forget their inhibitions are shot. You know, when you drink alcohol, you lose your inhibitions and you start to say everything you wanted to say. And yeah, it happens all the time. The good part about marriage to medicine, though, is we do bring some substance. Not that other people don't. Let me clarify. But when you watch marriage to medicine, we do medical moments. So we teach as well. So hopefully people watch marriage to medicine and they learn things from us and not just get the wind down where you just kind of laugh like, I can't believe these women are doing this. But we actually do medical missions, do medical moments. So we give a little bit of substance to it. You know, okay, I'm going to talk about that because what I do love about your show versus, let's say, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I do love because it's just so opulent. When they do the tell-alls, they have these like massive ball gowns on with like, you know, Cartier and, and Chanel and Versace everywhere. And then you guys come in in your medical coats. You know, I really like that. I really do. And, you know, I want to give you a compliment having worked in healthcare for, you know, 25 years and especially around this issue of gynecology. It is so misunderstood and sexual wellness and there's so much stigma and taboo, right? About everything, weight, aging, our bodies in general. And so what I love about what you do on the show is you create a dialogue and you're fearless and you talk about these things. And Matthew was telling me about your viewership. I mean, you know, billions and billions of people tune in and, and listen to this stuff and you're normalizing it. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there needs to be more people like you. I try to find them. I scour the world and try to find, you know, cool, hip, 
and bold and brave medical providers who have the same vision of that we need to really teach people about the latest innovations, products, and services, and deliver it in a way that they can relate. The other thing you're doing so well, of course, is the enormous disparities we have in healthcare for women of color and minorities. And they don't really record your work too much, but would you say the majority of your clientele is of color? Or like, how does that work? Because I had an African-American, a wonderful doctor on the show, and she was telling me that Black women want a Black doctor because there are certain issues and certain things that they only really feel comfortable about talking to within their own culture. And thank you for asking me about it, because it's such an important topic. We are definitely seeing healthcare disparity affect African-Americans a lot more than anybody else. So I've definitely now have probably 75, 25 African-American patients, others, where I used to have 50-50. It was, you know, white, Asian, Indian, African-American. Since the pandemic, though, you are exactly right. Women of African-American race are looking for African-American doctors because I think there's a cultural connection that we have. We understand the language. We understand the family dynamics. We understand how they feel less than by other doctors. And so they do connect with us. And I am definitely seeing more African-American women. I believe this so much so in that I started a campaign that should air soon called If Black Women Are Dying More, We Should Be Doing More. Because I wanted to point out a statistic that one, as a breast cancer survivor of two times, Black women die 41% more from breast cancer if diagnosed than anybody else. Black women die twice more from cervical cancer than anybody else. And just go through ovarian cancer, colon cancer. If you just go through the list, we are the less researched race. There's so much that does not happen for the African-American race that should be happening that I wanted to shed a light on it. For example, if you tell a Black woman to do her pap every three to five years like everybody else, but then you turn around and say, but we die twice more, well, let's cut the number in half for Black women. So instead of doing it every three to five, why don't we do it every one to three for African-Americans? So I want everybody, because I think healthcare involves patients, providers, payers and policymakers all the way up to Congress. And so if everybody is involved in healthcare and everybody is aware of what's happening to African-American women, I think we could see a change. And so I just want to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can definitely help you out with that because also I've been working on the HIV AIDS issue for, gosh, 20 years now. And African-American women are much more likely to contract HIV than Caucasian women. Oh, yeah. I moderated a conference yesterday for that. Believe it or not, Georgia is the number one newly diagnosed HIV cases in the U.S. And I'm from Mississippi, which is number two. And I'm like, well, now I've got to have some part of this. I learned a lot from the women yesterday because it was a panel of women who are HIV positive. And just hearing them share their stories and how it's affecting the African-American community, I was appalled that I was missing out on things. Like I haven't been prescribing medications pre-exposure to HIV. So I learned a lot yesterday. But yes, number one in Georgia. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So I <laughs> do know that you have some pretty famous clients and like Debrat and Tony Braxton and Candy from Real Housewives. 
I mean, what happens? Do they just like wander into your clinic one day and go, okay, uh, I have a fibroid? Like, you know, how does that work? Or how do you build relationships with them? And that's how you attract all these big celebrities in your practice. Now, my very first celebrity was Trina Braxton, who is Tony's sister. And I was taking care of Trina and just had this instant connection with Trina. And after taking care of Trina, she said, hey, my sister's pregnant and she wants to see you. So I'm like, okay. And here we are years later. So Trina, Tony, Tamar, Tawanda, I had all the T's in the Braxton family. And then from there, it just started being this person and this person. And and they started to connect in that one. If you don't want me to tell, I'm not telling. If you want to talk about it, I want to talk about it. And then I was open to filming with them on, they weren't reality shows, they're documentaries or whatever they were called back in the day. And from there, I have seen the vaginas of a lot of celebrities. Well, good for you. But I do also happen to know that you're very interested in helping marginalized communities. You have your own foundation. It's called 50 Shades of Pink. And from what I know about it, you want to give girls and women the dignity that they can't afford to have by putting makeup. Well, anyway, you tell us about it. I am doing a very bad job of explaining an amazing foundation. Right. So I haven't been diagnosed with breast cancer in the first time in 2004 and had to go through chemo and radiation and multiple surgeries. I just didn't feel good, obviously, from the drugs, but I didn't even look good. And, you know, we know the studies show if you look good, you'll feel good. And if you feel good, you do good. And that's what I wanted to give back. So second diagnosis, having to go through a whole double mastectomy, chemos with the dark nails, just pale face. I started giving everything to women in my practice who were diagnosed with breast cancer that I used to look good and feel good. I mean, I literally would put on lipstick to go to chemo because I wanted to look good at chemo. I would cover my nails with fingernail polish. And there were women who wanted to wear wigs. I just believed I would not wear a wig, but that was for me. I had particular outfits that you could and couldn't wear because you had drains. It was just a lot. And I wanted to make sure that women who went through that journey, and I like to call it a journey because, you know, there's a start and there's a finish to it, that they looked good during that time so that they would feel good about themselves. I love which is why we started. Actually, we have a cancer care dignity kit, especially. And so I do want to brainstorm with you, not on the podcast, but I do want to brainstorm with you what should go in that kit for women like who are going through chemo, you know, losing their hair. You know, what we want to know is, you know, what are your sort of symptoms? Obviously, it's very uncomfortable having. Oh, my God. The hair thing. You know, I asked my husband, I said, you think I'm losing my hair? And the one time I really needed him to lie to me, Kate, he said, yeah, it's everywhere. It's all over the bed. It's all over the sink. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, a woman, that's her glory. And so losing hair, my nails were dark, my face was darkened, and I just didn't feel good about it. But I knew in order to beat cancer, I needed to keep my immune system high. And when you start to feel bad, you lose that whole immunity response. So I thought, if I can keep myself happy, healthy, and whole, this is going to be okay. And that's exactly what I did. I would put on lipstick. I would buy a new outfit every time I would go to chemo. And so after the double mastectomy, these muscles contract and they hurt. But I found this warming blanket that if you wrap that around your chest, it'll help those muscles relax. 
and it's not so tight. So we put all of that in the basket. Anything journals, because I do believe the journey is not just for you. The journey is for somebody else. So we tell them to journal the journey. So we put all of this in a cute basket, different presentations, depending on the story. And we give it to women. Is it painful? The chemo. The chemo itself isn't painful. It's just the effects of the chemo where you lose your taste. You know, your tongue becomes very irritated. And so things hurt that you would eat. You just don't feel good. It's poison, but it's a necessary poison. As a physician, I knew I needed chemo. You know, the patient's like, I have to think about it. I wanted every drop of the chemo they had to offer because I knew that's what I needed to fight the cancer. By default, it destroys some of the healthy cells like your hair follicles in your fingernails, you just don't feel good. I have a nice story for you. So I took with Deborah. Deborah's been one of my ambassadors, Deborah Messing, for gosh, 15 years. We've been all over the world together. And we took a trip to Zimbabwe. And we went to a very, very poor community village where people live on one or $2 a day. Beautiful Zimbabwean women. And we had trained the hairdressers in this village to, whilst they were braiding hair, because even when somebody lives on a dollar a day in Africa, they're going to look after their hair. The hair, as you say, is a very important thing for all women, but especially African women. And so they will pay to get the hair braided. So they go to their local little hairdresser. We had trained all these hairdressers during the braiding to talk about reproductive health and diseases and contraception and the female condom, because a lot of the women, you know, were in the sex trade because that's the only way they could make money to look after their families. And so it was a wonderful, uplifting moment to our trip where we really just tried to find, like you've done with your Fifty Shades of Pink Foundation, we really try to find ways to deliver dignity, but to be strategic and entrepreneurial about it so that it can be sustained over time, right? And they get a cut of all the sales of these condoms, right? So they're motivated to get the women to use them. But that's an amazing strategy. That was really good on your behalf to kind of strategically place it. You're there, you're getting a service and start to talk about it. I do that with women in the office all the time. You know, they're very nervous. They don't want to share. And you just start talking about other stuff. Give them a story. You know, I never tell a story without a point. Never make a point without a story. So I use that same strategy and that was really good. I mean, let's be honest. I think over my career, I've traveled to about 120 countries. That's a lot of countries. And I've met mostly with women and children on those mission trips. And one thing that is true is that All our bodies work in the same way. We have a uterus, we have a womb, we have periods, we need to get pregnant. Some of us are fertile, some of us aren't, some of us enjoy sex, some of us don't, some of us are in arranged marriages. I mean, I have seen it all, forced prostitution, sex trafficking, you name it. And what I realized after all of these travels and all of the research and all of the fundraising to try to make this world a better place for women is one of the massive gaps that we have as women is our sexual wellness. And you know what's different though from each woman? We all have a uterus, two ovaries mindset. 
And that's where that whole sexual health comes from. That's what I want to talk about because, and I'm sure you know this, there's an official term and it's called the orgasm gap. And there is an orgasm gap. Only 30% of women, I think it's even lower actually, 30% of women can naturally have an orgasm with penetration. So that leaves 70% of the world of women who can't have an orgasm just from having regular sex. Now, Dr. Jackie, I happen to know that you have something called the O-Shot. And I happen to know that you are a big fan of promoting sexual wellness, not just for women, but for men as well. So I want to know all about this and where it came from and why you decided to work this in. And you worked it into the show, which was brilliant. Absolutely. So it's called the orgasmic shot. That's where the old shot comes from. And, you know, I wrote a book called The Queen V, Sex, Intimacy, and Down Their Healthcare. So I talked a lot about it because I think we need to educate women and men. And so I took a class where you have to do this whole certification in order to be an old shot provider. And I went down for a whole weekend with this doctor who said he accidentally discovered it, where he draws blood from the patient, woman or man, he spins it down and he gets the platelet-rich plasma. We've all heard of PRP and there are growth factors in there. And you inject it back into the clitoris and the vagina and it just sends these blood cells into this area and it creates sensitivity. And so basically where you're putting it in the vagina is the area we believe is your G-spot, the erogenous zone. Inside, right? It's not. Yes, inside. The roof. Oh, by the way, I have a buffet here that we made. There you go. And we made them brown just for Africa. We have white ones as well, but this is the buffet to teach women where all the parts are. Here's the clitoris, the vulva, labia, vagina. So just kind of slide in there from the urethra, which is the opening where you urinate from. And it's in that area right there that we deposit back your own PRP into that area and then into the clitoral gland as well. And in a few weeks, it's like, I'm going to be honest, I had it. I got the old shot. Oh my goodness. And after about two weeks, I would sit down, Kate, on the stool where you kind of sit wide on the stool. move. And I was like, whoa, girl, okay. And you know, if you squeeze your legs together because you're crossing your legs being a lady, it was like, oh, so wait. You have more orgasms than normal. You can give them to yourself. It's called menage moi. I do it for my, I mean, it works very well with a partner, obviously. It makes the area very sensitive and the area is very sensitive. You get really into the whole motion of it all. And before you know it, you know, whoo, orgasm, take me away. So many questions. Oh my goodness. But let me tell you this part. It was originally designed to help with stress urinary incontinence. You know, when we cough or sneeze, you might leak a little urine. And so when they would put the PRP, and that's how they discovered it, back in the area so that it would build collagen around the urethra, women start saying, whoo, you know, I'm getting more orgasms. Now, it will not make you orgasmic if you're not. It just makes the area more sensitive, which makes the orgasm a bit more heightened. I was asked once to be an ambassador for, I think it was called Aphrodite, but it was like a, an oil that you drip on your vulva and your vagina. And it had kind of the same effect. At least, I mean, I just didn't need to leave the house for like weeks. <laughs> yes, girl. I call it the ooh, ooh, ooh moment, honey. It was like, ooh. Yeah, no. I mean, I was just like, oh my God. And it wasn't FDA approved, but my 
God, I mean, I would have bought gallons of that stuff. And, you know, you talk about the mind. The mind is, of course, our most sexual, powerful organ, right? Absolutely. Your brain. Yes. And I don't know how much of it was in my mind, but it was tingling and it was swelling. And, oh, my God. I mean, I'm surprised the vibrator didn't, like, blow up, you know? I I just did not need to leave the house. So I presume the shot is not covered under health insurance. No, it's not covered under health insurance, but it is so well worth it. And listen, you don't have to do it, but every 18 to 24 months, even if you need it then. So it will be the best investment that you could ever make every two years. And how much is it? Average of 15 to $2,400. It depends on the, the area of the U.S. that you're in. Oh, so this is not your invention. Other people do this too. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a doctor in Alabama who stumbled onto this, and he actually goes around the world and teaches other doctors how to do it. And what is the name of it? I mean, it literally is called the O-Shot. O-Shot, brilliant. I love it. Oh, and the O is for orgasm. I love it. Orgasmic shot. Now, there is a P-Shot out there. Let's not leave our men out, Kate. Okay, what do we do for P's? So what we do for the P-Shot is take that exact same PRP and inject it into the corpus cavernosum, those two strong muscles where all the blood flows that gives us a nice hard penis, and it will strengthen and lengthen the penis. And I said lengthen. So I've been told it can give you one to two, maybe even three centimeters more because that muscle will hypertrophy. It grows and it's stronger. And so me and I absolutely love it. Okay. So it lengthens it. But what about the girth? Because in my mind, girth is more important. It's more length. But I imagine if the muscle is growing, you're going to get some girth as well. You're going to get one or the other, but we'll take length. You can make that work. Now, is this called the P-Shot? The P-Shot. Okay, so we got the O-Shot and we got the P-Shot. Absolutely fantastic. All you got to do is Google it and you'll find a provider in your area. And there is somebody in every part of the United States of America and outside doing the P-Shot and the O-Shot. Now, what do you think about the whole conversation around Viagra? Now, of course, there's this new women's Viagra that you can take. Are you a fan? Do you recommend it? I've heard mixed reviews. I think with the right patient, it's a great drug to use. Now, if she is expecting it to create a happy marriage, and that's not going to happen. And a lot of women want it for the wrong reasons. And if it's not for you, then I would advise not to do it. But if it is something you want to do, and we give it in such smaller doses than the man, but it tends to create such happiness because it increases blood flow to the area. And when that tissue has more blood flow, the nerve endings are heightened and the vagina is engorged and it's more moisture happening. Women are real happy with it. I actually took male Viagra once because I wanted to just experiment, see what happened. It gave me a headache. That's what it did. It gave me a headache. It didn't really do anything for me sexually, but I gave it a whirl. I have not tried the female Viagra. You tried the male dose? I don't know. I think I took two of the pills, the little blue pills. Oh, that was too much, Kate. I bet it did give you a headache. I mean, I'm a little girl, you know. I got a headache and it didn't do too much for me. Well, we're glad it didn't cause your heart to burst. That wouldn't have been good. But I was with my boyfriend at the time. It was a long time ago. But I won't be doing that again. And to all the listeners out there, please don't do it, okay? Don't try that at home. Please don't try that at home. And if you're with your boyfriend, hopefully he knows CPR. Oh, yeah. So you work 
like I do on a lot of issues that, first of all, are pandemics, right? Like diabetes, real problem. You know, I was just learning some facts about in Mexico, families drink on average five liters of regular Coca-Cola a day instead of water. Can you believe that? So diabetes in Mexico, one in four people, which is the same rate of HIV in Africa. So it's a very interesting comparison, right? Now, obviously, you know, with your regular clinic, you work with people who can afford your services and get the right treatment that they need. And I do happen to know that you have discovered a drug, which I'm not endorsing because I don't know anything about it, called Osmopic, which is for diabetes, but it also helps with weight loss. Is that right? Yeah. And it's Ozempic. And that's the brand name. It's semiglutide is the generic name. And so there are different brands of semiglutide out there. But yes, believe it or not, straight out of California, I had my patients come in and said, hey, I've been using this drug and I'm losing weight. And initially, Kate, I did like most doctors were like, we don't always want to figure out new stuff. So I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. And I heard it like five times from five different patients. And I said, okay, so I then do what we do, call the girlfriends up who are overweight. And I'm like, hey, there's this new drug on the market. You should try it. And so my girlfriends who are my patients came in. We did all the appropriate labs to make sure they were deemed good candidates for the drugs. And I started to see girlfriends who had not lost weight, who had tried every diet plan out there, had done every drug, start to lose weight. And then I'm like, okay. And then we were all going to Greece last summer. And we were like, yes. And they, of course, I'm like, can I get a little bit of it? So when we go to Greece, I won't gain weight either. And I tried it too. And I'm like, oh my goodness. We ate everything we wanted to eat in Greece. Not that you're supposed to. That is not the recommendation. I did not gain one pound. Not one pound in Greece. And so if used correctly and you're definitely overweight, BMI greater than 30, or your hemoglobin A1C is high, you know, pre-diabetic numbers, then those are the ideal people for the drugs. And I have put my patients on it now. I started a whole Ozempic clinic where we bring you in. We do measurements and weight and labs and pictures. And it's been working like, a miracle. It's like, it's been working fine. One of my prototypes has been my office manager who's lost 40 pounds since October. What do you think about, I had a supermodel on the show very recently, a very good friend of mine, Frederick van der Waal. She's a Dutch. She was one of the first Victoria's Secret supermodels. And we talked all about the pressure that is on for all of us, right? You know, we have social media, it's all about how you look. It's all about how you age. It's all about how thin you are. And, you know, body positivity needs to happen. There's body dysmorphia. I mean, I have a 12 year old daughter and I'm terrified of like all of this, right? <laughs> terrified. You know, I went through an eating disorder. I had it and there was no social media. Now with social media, you know, she's obsessed with looking like those girls on TikTok. So what do you feel about now what's happening with, you know, companies like Victoria's Secret that, you know, you do work on issues like diabetes, right? Because they're life-threatening. Being overweight is not good. It's not healthy, right? But now 
you know, I actually was in the mall earlier and I walked past Victoria's Secret and there's seriously overweight women in these campaigns. You know, they're beautiful and voluptuous, but they're probably not at a healthy weight. So what are your thoughts on that? This is a tough question. This is a toughie. Well, it's not a tough question. We have to be honest. And I've gotten in trouble on the show, Kate. I mean, I had a whole beat down season two about telling an overweight woman being overweight is not healthy. Like America and Twitter almost killed me, almost canceled me. And so we do have to be honest. A BMI greater than 30 is obesity. With obesity comes hypertension, diabetes, cancer, heart disease. So many comorbidities come along with being obese. Now, we can't tell you don't look good because beautiful women come in all sizes, but we cannot keep promoting the fact that being overweight is not healthy. And I get in trouble. My patients, I can start hearing them at the front desk. She's going to get me this year. I know she's going to get me because that is a topic that we have to have a conversation. I start from the Rudy to the Tootie. How's your head space? What's going on? We've been in a pandemic. Are you seeing a therapist? Everybody needs a therapist. Heart smart. Being heart smart is being ideal body weight. I'm not saying look like a supermodel. But I'm not saying that it is okay to walk around overweight and feel like this is okay. It should be a part of the journey to get into a healthier space. Don't you think that this education, I mean, this is the whole reason I started Body Next, right? Because it's very hard for a 50-year-old woman to change her behavior at this point. And if she's been, you know, eating fried foods and cake, you know, for 40 odd years, that's going to be hard for her to change. However, we want to help her, right? Absolutely. I think we have a new opportunity to start much younger, even at 10. I mean, even at six, I was talking to my daughter about diabetes when she wanted sweets and chocolate and whatever. I would say there is a disease that if you just eat this, it's diabetes and people have been known to lose their leg because they've got certain types of diabetes. So, you know, I feel like there are just so many problems, systemic problems in, a, in our both healthcare system, in our hospitals, in our schools, where, you know, the absolute crap that is served at my daughter's school for school dinner, you know, it's nuggets and chips and pizza and just rubbish food. So yeah, you know, drinking five liters of Coca-Cola instead of water a day that's a problem. These are simple. Well, drinking one Coca-Cola a day is a problem. You know, that's a lot of sweetener, but okay. You know what? I say, if it's not live, if you didn't kill it or grow it, it's not live. Egg, nuts, meats, beans, you got to eat live because if you want your body to be alive, you got to eat the earth. And don't get me wrong. I don't eat the earth every day, but your predominant food should be the foods that we grow in the earth or that we kill, you know, meat. You know, America invented processed foods. And again, it's all convenience, right? Fast food, convenience foods. You know, you can go through a supermarket now and I do it. Even in the organic section, you pick up something that says organic on it and it's full of preservatives and rubbish. And, but it's just really, really, really hard. Even the fruit that you buy is like covered in preservatives and whatever. But anyway, that is a whole different podcast. And cost. We know we have to be honest with everybody can't afford to eat healthy. And that's an unfortunate thing as well. 
you can go to McDonald's and feed your whole family on $10, right? So again, the system is wrong and we have to start educating our kids at a young age. And you know where the opportunity in my mind is? It's the parents. It's parents and medical providers like yourself who are doing amazing things to talk about these issues and normalize them. We just need to have culturally relevant scientific-based information. You know, we're so stuck now, though, because childhood obesity is really, really a bad area in medicine now. We're seeing lots of kids, but we're so concerned with not hurting their feelings. And, you know, you can't say anything to the kids anymore that I feel for my pediatric colleagues because I don't know how they do it. You know, if a kid comes in and they're overweight, I'm not sure of that conversation that they have with the child and the parent, because now we can't really say anything because now we hurt their feelings and we're giving them a complex. And That's a problem. And, you know, whenever I see an overweight kid, it breaks my heart because they are going to have issues later in life. I mean, it's guaranteed and absolutely breaks my heart. It really does. But where we know it also starts is in pregnancy. And that's why we encourage pregnant women to not gain an excessive amount of weight because we've seen that that whole obesity has been passed on to the child. I only gained 20 pounds when I had my daughter. I was like fanatical. Although I will say the last, (laughs) I'd have a C-section because I grew a massive fibroid the size of a cabbage when I was pregnant with her and she wasn't able to get around it to come out naturally. So I had to have a C-section, so it was scheduled. The doctor said, okay, you're not going to be able to eat for 24 hours before your surgery. Just go out and eat whatever you want. And I literally went to McDonald's and got like a Big Mac and a milkshake and I never do that. But that's a treat. You know what? I'm not opposed because we don't want the world to think we're saying never enjoy eating processed food or bad food. But that was a treat. And, you know, we celebrate certain things and we get cake and ice cream. That's okay. We don't want you to feel like you have to eat like the birds and bees out there. But you can still make that not a lifestyle. And so if you were going to have a C-section and you're having a baby, go eat your french fries. I love French fries. And it was amazing. And then, of course, I regretted it afterwards because, you know, it's obviously very bad for you, but it felt good going in. And then I went back to grilled salmon because I was breastfeeding, which is superfood, as we know, superfood for your child. Dr. Jackie, we're running out of time, which is heartbreaking, which I knew we would. It's gone so quick. I have a gazillion more questions for you. I'm dying to work with you on an ongoing basis. I think you are such an inspiration that needs to be more Dr. Jackie's in this world who are in the public eye, doing what you're doing, delivering accurate information in a really cool way that people can learn and see and enjoy you and the show. Now, is there any tea that you want to spill from the show as a lasting little tidbit? I do know that some cast members are leaving. Are we getting new cast members? You know, are you happy about those people leaving? Like, just give us something, like just something. So certainly there's been a shakeup. We are replacing three people, actually. And then we're adding new people, some you've seen on other shows before. Okay. So you may see an old Bravo celebrity that you loved who is now married to medicine. Oh, okay. Yes. 
And then the last question is, and you know, after the podcast, let's just do a little brainstorm, but I am a true believer that if we don't engage boys and men in our issues, as in what women go through, like men don't have a clue, not a clue. It's that little piece of the why where they're missing the X to make it an X that they're missing. They're missing some chromosomes, so they can't understand. And you know what? It's like the saying, happy wife, happy life, right? If they had more of an understanding of how our bodies operate and why we do what we do, just the basics, periods, cramps, fertility, what it's like to go through breast cancer, uh, menopause, like what's going to Breastfeeding. Look, breastfeeding. My ex-husband, hence ex, he literally told me, I breastfed for a year and a half, which was really challenging. But he was like, you've got to stop that. It's almost like you're a pedophile at this point. Like he literally said that to me. And I'm like, that is the most ridiculous statement that a man could possibly ever say, because my child has got an immune system that is ironclad. And I put it down to a year and a half of mama's milk, right? Liquid gold, we called it. Yeah. It's like, but listen, I'm not hating on men here. I have a tribe of men now including Harvey Grant, the NBA player, who is the guy for the girl effect. Like he has daughters and he wants to use his fame and the NBA to like get messages out there. So I want you to just to have a think about what we could do together, because I believe that sports, both for boys and girls, is so influential. And we need to reach the masses with this. Absolutely. You know, outside of the show, we need to meet the masses. And I really want to help you with 50 Shades of Pink Foundation. And I really think that we can join forces to scale it and get it out around the world. And also, you know, beyond Atlanta. But I do know that there is a big, 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 big problem in Atlanta. So maybe we bring Harvey there and figure out, you know, how we can have some impact. Well, I would absolutely love that. The only other thing I can say for men is to tell mamas to also teach your boys. You know, we do a lot of teaching to our girls and we just love on our boys. And then they grow up to be those men who don't really understand. Well, that's Harvey's job. So he's actually going to Rwanda with us. We're going to this conference called Women Deliver. And he's our ambassador. He's also on our board. But he wants to, like, he has a son who's also a basketball player and a twin brother who's also a basketball player. But he also has daughters and nieces. And he knows that if we don't teach our boys, we're not going to be able to break the cycle. And boys watch porn. Porn's not real, right? They get the sex ed from porn. And we need men to be talking to men and boys. And so that's what I'm cooking up. That's what I'm thinking about. And we'll make it happen. And every day, every month when there is a, like this is Women's History Month, we need to get men involved in that, you know, honoring women. And once the world sees that men are honoring women, breast cancer awareness, men wear pink in the NBA and NFL, we just keep getting the men involved and then it'll just kind of multiply. Dr. Jackie, you're amazing. Thank you for being on this show. And Last question, where did you get those glasses from? I mean, they're absolutely... Aren't they cute? You know what? An Instagram pop-up. Something popped up on Instagram and I put my lens in it and here we are. So cool. I've been like focused on them the whole time. They look so good and you're so beautiful. 
and you really are an inspiration. So thanks for being on the show. This is just the beginning, my darling. And thank you for doing everything you do for women. We do appreciate it. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code PODCAST10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.